Good morning. Apologize in advance. I've been battling that virus, that uh, cold thing that goes around. So if I start having a coughing a fit, just pray for me, hang in there, and uh, we'll try to get through it. I'm trying to suck on some halls to help me through that a little bit. So uh, we'll do. We'll see what happens here. Um, my youngest son Eli just recently celebrated his 12th birthday, and uh, for his birthday, uh, he asked for some things. He asked for this, a skills speed shoot, so he can. Uh, Put that on and try to get faster. Uh, he asked for the lateral resistance trainer so he can work on his lateral quickness. Uh, he asked for some skills cones so he can set these up in the yard and start uh, moving around and getting quicker and faster. And then he got some money from uh, his grandparents. And so he got the uh, this other lateral resistor. Uh, I think he went on the skills website and found every possible tool he could get to make himself a better football player. We got something to help us catch the ball, reaction belts, the whole deal here. My son has a dream to one day make it to the NFL. And I think judging by all of this stuff, he actually wants to become the first sixth grader ever invited to the NFL combine next spring. <laughs> it's amazing. I, and, and just a word of his parenting, parenting advice. If your child ever asks you what they can do to get better at the thing that they love, honesty may not be the best policy. I just... Just saying. I think in Eli's eyes, the greatest thing that can happen to him is actually that puberty goes really, really well, right? And he gets this body and this frame that helps him actually accomplish these goals to become an NFL player, or at least be able to have a chance to maybe play in high school a little bit. But I love Eli's big dreams. I love his attitude. I love his work ethic and his desires. He's so excited to get these things out and start working with them. And he's got great optimism and hope that doing so is actually going to help him get the most out of himself and out of his relationship with this sport that he loves so much. And he told me this week that when he signs with the NFL, he's actually going to give me his signing bonus or his first month's pay. So I'm really hopeful as well that all of this goes really well. (laughs) Deep inside each one of us, I believe there's a child like Eli who's just waiting for greatness to be called out of us. And it might not be on the scale of the NFL... It might not be anything as public. We might not want that much attention. But I believe that we're all desiring for somebody to look inside of us and see some special gift that we have or something amazing that we bring to this world and to call that out of us to help us make our lives better, to help us make the lives of people around us better, to help us make this life more beautiful. And I believe that it's actually part of who we are. The author of Genesis tells us that we are created in God's image. And I think all of us know this, that deep down inside of us, somewhere on our soul, we are marked with God's mark fearfully and wonderfully made. I also believe it's God's great desire to bring this out of us, right? Jesus' life, death, and resurrection made this possible for us. And it's God's great goal that we become more conformed to the image of his fearful and wonderful son, Jesus, in whose image we are made. And I think God has given us some incredible tools to help us do this. One of these, of course, is his word, the Bible. And at Orchard, we believe that engagement with these scriptures is actually one of the primary ways, the central ways that God uses to form us and conform us into his own image. We're in a series called Reframe. And we're looking at the ways God wants to use the Bible to reframe our perspectives on both how we look at God, how we look at ourselves, 
how we view greatness, how we look at the storms that come into and out of our lives. And this morning we're looking at how does God want to use the Bible to reframe the way we look at the Bible. I drew the short end of the stick. I got the circular one, right? That's what happens when you miss a meeting, I guess. It sounds very circular, but yes, you heard right. We are looking at the way God wants to use the Bible to adjust the way we look at the Bible. And more specifically, we're going to look at the way God wants to use His Word to reframe our motive and approach to engaging Him in His Word. I was out for a run the other day, and I ran by this house that had all these sticks from all their yard. It was all raked up into a nice, neat pile, all these twigs and sticks and branches, And then there's a picture next to all these sticks and twigs. And this is the picture. It says, free kindling. (laughs) Yeah, two thoughts raced in my head simultaneously. That is ingenious, right? That's incredible. And the second thought, come on, man. (laughs) Who needs your yard waste for their kindling? Don't we all have enough of our own, right? And I was thinking about this as I ran away. Then, of course, I'm preparing for this teaching. And I'm thinking, I realized... Isn't this often the way I approach the Bible? Some things are amazing. They're ingenious. They're inspirational. I want to take them with me. And then other things I come across in the Bible, they just kind of lay there like dead wood or like kindling sitting on the pages. I approach the Bible that way all the time. But this is what the Apostle Paul, he says these words to Timothy in his second letter. He says, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul is trying to fan into flame the greatness that he sees in Timothy, this young man that he loves like his own son. And he says, all scripture, the entire Bible is useful for teaching us, for correcting us for training us in righteousness and rebuking us. It's what we need to be trained so that we can become thoroughly equipped for every good work that He's calling us to do. He says all of it is useful. I'm going to be honest. Not everything I read in the Bible seems particularly useful or life-changing to me. I come across things like, a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer. Okay, that's not me. Some of the Bible seems irrelevant. It seems like it was written thousands of years ago by uh, people who speak a completely different language than me, who live in an ancient culture and, and are from a totally foreign culture than what I am from. Maybe it's because it was, right? Some of them, some of the Bible seems really confusing to me. And some of it actually seems a bit harsh. A few years ago, I decided I was going to read through the Bible from cover to cover in a year. And I got up to about Ezekiel or Jeremiah. And all of a sudden, I was so discouraged and so depressed. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I had to jump ship. I had to get into the New Testament and find a little bit of hope and some encouragement. There are other times when I'm reading stories from the Bible that I may have heard or read you know, 10, 20, 30 times, and they don't grab me quite the way they used to. I think that I struggle with uh, repetition. I kind of can get bored, or I think that maybe I've mastered something and it's time to move on. I like new stuff. I like new ideas. I love learning new things. But then some of it's just so hard. And there have been times that I've just kind of struggled to read the Word. And I think maybe some of you can relate to that. 
Uh, I know that we did a survey five years ago in the church, and we discovered that the number one thing people at Orchard Hill Church want from our church is to help them understand the Bible. And yet further in this research, it revealed that 58% of us actually read the Scriptures one day a month or less. 51% of us actually reflect on what we read in the Scriptures once a month or less. Engaging and understanding the Bible is difficult for many of us. I used to treat it kind of like an ATM machine where, you know, if I didn't get what I needed from it, uh, what I asked for it, right when I asked for it, I left discouraged or frustrated and just kind of figured that it was broken. But could it be that the Bible itself isn't broken, but maybe our approach and our motive to engaging it needs a little bit of rewiring? We live in the age of information, right? In a culturally, in a functionally oriented culture, a do-it-yourself kind of culture. And we're constantly driven to perform better, case in point, my son, to produce more, to control outcomes, whether we're at home or whether we're at work or whether it's in our recreation or our sports. And to help us with this, we feast on information and knowledge and technology also that we can master our lives and control our environments. We have to sift through massive amounts of information that are not only accessible to us, but they threaten to bury us. So thank God for Google, right? So we can search and skim and bookmark and cut and paste and reorganize and find and print and share and master all of this information and put it to work for us. Ironically, in the midst of all of this great technology that's really geared at making us more efficient and giving us more time, we actually spend less time doing one of the most vital human activities there is to do, which is to think and to reflect and to actually learn. Isn't that one of our biggest excuses for why we don't engage the scriptures? It's like, I just don't have a lot of time. And God, come on, why did you have to make it so hard? It takes, it takes a lot of effort to understand what you're saying. In his book, Shaped by the Word, M. Robert Mulholland Jr. observes that our functionally oriented culture has actually influenced the way we read the Bible. That we approach the Bible in this same information age kind of way where we read it informationally. We just can't help it. We search for answers. We cut and paste. We throw out chunks that we disagree with, don't understand, or don't find helpful. We take things out of context just to justify how we're living or maybe to confront how someone else is living. We find and use verses to excuse ourselves from doing the things that we don't want to do or for the other, the other way of that, right, too, for not doing the things that we know we should be doing. We filter everything we read through our own feelings, our own beliefs, our own perspectives, and our own needs and experiences. Often we focus on finding passages that solidify what we already believe to be true, and sometimes we do this to to prove a point or to win an argument. Sometimes we look for interpretations of the Scriptures that can help us actually impose our agenda on other people. I don't believe this is how Jesus intended us to actually engage the Scriptures. In fact, I think all of it can be quite dangerous. Jesus actually looked at, his, at, his, uh, fair, at the Pharisees and He said this to them. He said, You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. When we read the Bible informationally, for information only, which we often do, we run the risk of limiting the impact that God's word could have on our lives because we avoid any real encounter with the living God, with Jesus. We can become so saturated and enamored with information that we miss out on the best part of the Bible, a vital encounter and relationship with Jesus himself. And don't get me wrong, informational reading is necessary and it's important, but it's incomplete and it's secondary to a more formational approach to reading scriptures. Formational reading is all about relationship. It's about uh, encountering and getting to know Jesus and letting him speak to us. Words of truth and breathe words of life that activate his image deep within us so that we can live a life of faith and be conformed to his image. A few years ago, I had a friend, a good, real good friend of mine die, and it rocked my world. I mean, it just shook the foundations of my faith. It really devastated me, and I began this journey to kind of start getting everything I could on apologetics and reading apologetics so that I could find some evidence that God is real, that there's proof that God exists, that my friend is in a better place, that my friend is in heaven, that I will be in heaven with him someday as well, just looking for all these facts. And it was great information. It brought me a little bit of encouragement, but it wasn't what I really needed. And a friend of mine came to me at that time, could see that I was hurting. This friend offered me a verse and said, I think... God wanted me to share this verse with you. It was Philippians 3, 10 and 11. And it read, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, become like him in his death and so somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. And as I read these words, it was exactly what I was looking for. This was my what I'd been praying for. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know fellowship with him in this time of suffering. Those words just sunk into my heart. I started to become a prayer to me. I was praying to God these words, and I was thinking about these words constantly, day and night. And I even started singing a song that was called Secret Garden, that kind of similar to these words. I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to touch your face. I want to know you more. In the course of this time, Jesus came to me, and I actually encountered Jesus in a very real and tangible way. And he gave me far more, immeasurably more, than I could have ever asked or imagined. And it shaped me. It shaped my relationship with him. Paul tells us, all scripture is God-breathed. It's God-breathed and it's useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training us in righteousness. Paul tells us that God's word comes from the very core of who God is. He breathes it out of himself. He exhales his very nature into us. It's the very voice of God in our lives. And that nature is profoundly different than our human nature. And it runs counter to our human nature. And we desperately need it, don't we? We inherited a fallen, broken nature from Adam and Eve. And informational reading can bridge the culture gap and the historical gap and all that stuff that exists between us and the original authors and their audience. But it cannot make us any more ready or tolerant or able to receive something that's so foreign to us, something 
that is so contrary to our nature and lives outside of us. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We need help from the Holy Spirit in understanding what God is trying to say to us so that His Word can penetrate deep inside of us to where it can connect with His image and start to draw that out of us, start to change us. This is how the author of Hebrews says the Holy Spirit wants to use God's Word in our lives. He says, For the Word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. This is as intimate as intimate gets. You can complain all you want about traffic cameras and spyware. I mean, this is intrusive stuff right here. And it's not optional. God sees everything. He knows every thought. He judges every attitude. And God wants to use His good Word in our lives like a scalpel in the hands of the most gifted surgeon to start to cut through everything that makes us who we are. He wants to search every crevice, every cell, go extremely deep to find anything that might get in the way of His image being fully formed in us and to cut that right out of us. I thought the surgery I had in college to repair an anal fissure was intrusive. Talk about vulnerable. This is it right here. Everything in us is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of God. And what the author is really trying to teach us is what our posture before God should look like when we come to the Word. And I love how Mulholland, he actually describes what's going on. He says the writer of Hebrews is actually going gladiator on us. He's using a reference to arena combat. And he's describing the position of a vanquished gladiator laid naked and bare across the knee of his victor, with his throat exposed, his head tilted back, just waiting for that death blow from that double-edged sword. He's telling us this is the way that we should approach God's Word. For God's Word to do its necessary work, vital work in our lives, for it to become useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness, we have to be willing to go under the knife ourselves. Everything in our human nature will fight against this. But the author of Hebrews concludes, this is for our own good. If we will do this, God will actually do something good for this. Instead of a death blow, He's going to make something good come out of this. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts this. He says this way, He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God's word comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of throwing out 
you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here. He's putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. And he intends to come and live in it himself. God wants to take that scalpel and he wants to make a masterpiece. I love that. This is God's original design for us. It's to be so much more than what we are. An informational reading can bring Jesus to the front door, but formational reading brings the master carpenter inside and invites him to go to work in our lives. So how do we read more formationally instead of informationally? I want to propose three practices that can help us become better formational readers of the Scriptures. And they're on the slide. It's simply pray, ponder, and practice. And I believe that as we do these three things, God will actually open up all of the Scriptures and use them to teach us and rebuke us and train us and correct us. As Paul tells us again, all Scripture is God-breathed. And we talked about this. It comes from the very core of who God is. It's His nature. It runs contrary to our nature. So it seems to me we should be asking God for help. We should be asking His Spirit to speak to us. Every time we come to read His Word, we need to say some prayers and ask Him, God, talk to us. What is it you want to say to me as I read this Scripture? What area of my life are you trying to address? But more than that, more than just engaging ourselves intellectually and thinking about Scripture, we need God's Spirit to open our hearts and our souls to soften them so that we can understand what He's saying, but also so that we can accept it and embrace what He's telling us. Without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll simply leave too soon before He actually gets a chance to speak because it will run so contrary to us and to our nature and to what we want to hear. And after we pray, we have to listen. We have to provide time and space for God to speak. Prayer is conversation with God. And often we go to God and we tell Him what we need and we tell Him what we want, but how often do we give God time and space to actually speak to us where we are listening? Give permission for God to teach and correct. Right? God gives us permission all the time to speak to Him. When is the last time you've given God permission to speak to you through the Scriptures? This requires that we have to slow down and give that word time to sink in and to sink in deep and to actually judge those attitudes and those deepest desires in our heart. And that requires us to ponder. Right? That's what pondering is, reflecting, thinking, meditating on God's word. It's where he goes to those deep, dark, secret places, those hard-to-reach places, those places where we don't even want to go. We don't even want to examine those, but God wants to examine those. We have to engage more than our minds. How do I feel about what I just read? You know, often it's those times when I'm feeling disturbed or feeling upset. It's those places that God has something to say to us, that he comes alongside and says, I want to say something to you here about this. Why am I responding this way is a great question to ask. What's getting stirred up in my soul as I'm reading this? Pay attention to more than just what we're thinking, but what we're feeling and experiencing as we read God's Word. Be patient and wait. And I, I love to have a pen and paper uh, with me when I'm reading. I love to journal and to write down some thoughts that I think God is saying. And if I've prayed about it, we have to trust that the Spirit of God, when He gives us a thought or He speaks to us, that it's the Spirit of God who is actually speaking to us through His Word. And we can write these down and we can trust it. 
Again, it takes time. And remember, the mastering the text is not our goal. But the goal is to have the text master us. Finally, when we take time to ponder, uh, we invite God's Word to go deep. And that's when we find it's alive and active. And it's gracious, even if it's painful in rebuke or correction. The psalmist writes in Psalm 1, he says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the way of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, he meditates day and night. He reflects, he thinks deeply. He carries that word with him throughout his day. And he is like the tree planted beside the stream of water, yielding its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither, but everything he does prospers. If you don't hear anything in this time, it's okay. Okay, There are many times when I don't hear anything, when I'm reading the scripture and I've got my journal out, and there's sometimes when I hear way too much that, I don't, that I'm not ready to hear. Either way, I think the consistent discipline of just making ourselves still before God will be good for us, and that in itself will be shaping for us. Right? It, will, it will be forming for us. So just keep listening. And then remember, when you leave, to practice what you do know, to practice what God has shared with you. I know that Eli, if he's ever going to actually uh, get anything out of this stuff, he's going to have to do more than look at the boxes and order it and read the instructions inside. He's actually going to have to take the stuff out and put it to use and start practicing for it to have real effect that it's intended to have on his life. And Jesus says, anyone who hears my words and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the storms come and the rains come, the waters rise, the wind blows, that house remains firm because it's built on the foundation of the rock. But anyone who builds his house or anyone who hears these words and does not put them into practice, he's like the man who builds his house on the foundation of sand, and when those storms come, it gets washed away. Jesus' brother James tells us that when we uh, hear the word and we fail to put it in practice, we're like the person who looks into the mirror after reading at Taco John's and they see that piece of cilantro that's stuck right in their teeth right there. And then they walk away and they forget it's there and they're walking around smiling all day at everybody and they're looking like a big dork. You know, have you ever done that? Yeah, I have. We have to be practicers of the Word of God. I think I told you I used to treat the Word uh, like an ATM machine. And what I found is that when I pray and when I ponder and when I journal, I don't always hear something in the midst of that. Sometimes, like I said, I hear too much. But if I will keep praying, keep pondering, sometimes I think I've got to do all this stuff to put it into practice. And God's just saying, just practice what you know, and I will use that stuff. I'll bring it out. And oftentimes, if I haven't heard something, later in the day, I'm with somebody or some circumstance comes up and all of a sudden I receive deep encouragement from what I read earlier that day or earlier in the week or I have some form of encouragement to bring to a friend or a brother who needs it. It's amazing how that works. God's Word is alive and active when we pray and ponder and practice. We don't have to be perfect, but we must practice. One more thing. Community. God lives in perfect community. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Community is a part of God's nature, and community is the context for the church. When we pray and ponder and practice, we need to be doing this in community. We cannot do it alone, by ourselves. 
We've got a ton of great ways here at Orchard Hill Church. Small groups are just starting up. We have leadership classes that start up this week. Lots of ways for you to find a community to plug in our young adult small groups that meet on Sunday mornings. Lots of ways for you to get engaged. If you don't know what that step is, if you don't know how to do that or where you should fit in, please ask us or talk to a member of our face-to-face team before you leave here this morning. We urgently want you to be involved in a community where you can engage in God's Word. It's God's call for us as His followers of Christ. It's so vital for you and for the life of this church. If you are a follower of Jesus and you want to grow, this is how uh, one way we can reframe uh, the Scriptures in our life to give them that productivity that God desires for them to have. When is the last time that you let God's Word be like a gladiator or a home builder in your own life? I'm going to invite the band up. I'm going to say a word of prayer, and uh, we're going to continue to worship. Spirit, I pray that you would come and you would lead us deeper. Just as we're going to sing here in a minute, that you would lead us deeper. Deeper into all that God has for us, all that God wants for us, into a deeper understanding of who you are and of your nature and of ourselves as well. Father, you want to build a masterpiece in our lives. We want that for ourselves. We thank you so much for being a God who cares about us, who who made a way for all of this to happen. Father, we live in a busy culture, an informational age, and we have lots of distractions. This will take us time and it will take us discipline, but I pray that your spirit would encourage us every step of the way. Whatever our next step is, I pray that you would uh, speak that to us here this morning. Help us to, as we leave from here, to commit to taking that next step, whatever it is, to following you and engaging you in scriptures. It's in your name we pray. Amen.